Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. NYC Crit Club, a radical art program offering critique, community, and connection, is now enrolling through February 13th for the spring 2022 semester. NYC Crit Club is pleased to offer 17 courses including both online and in-person options, focusing on advanced critique, writing, painting, research seminars, and the honing of one's studio practice. In addition to their spring semester, you can now join NYC Crit Club's inaugural online membership program, the Artist Lecture Series Club. This year-long membership costs $120 and provides artists with access to a series of six Zoom lectures with Q&A presented by internationally acclaimed artists, NYC Crit Club discounts, and career resources. NYC Crit Club was founded by artists Catherine Haggerty and Hilary Doyle in 2017 and is currently directed by Catherine Haggerty. NYC Crit Club is proud to offer BIPOC scholarships and financial aid for artists in need. If you are interested in enrolling in a spring 2022 course or joining the Artist Lecture Series Club, Please visit nyccritclub.com for further information. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors mix the best acrylic paints, core watercolors, Williamsburg oil colors, and mediums that you can buy. You can find Golden Artist Colors in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters has three unique brands, which are unified in simple, earnest, and grounding principles. Fulcrum's own coffee line, Silver Cup, and Urban City. I've teamed up with Fulcrum to collaborate and create artwork for a new coffee tin. I created artwork inspired by some of the origins of where Fulcrum gets their coffee beans and created the artwork for a tin, which comes with a single-origin coffee from Costa Rica, a 12-ounce bag, both the coffee and the tin cost $35, and you can get it at their website, which is fulcrumcoffee.com. Chie Fueki lives and works in Beacon, New York. Chie was born in Yokohama, Japan, and raised in Sao Paulo, Brazil. She earned her MFA at Yale University and her BFA at the Ringling College of Art and Design. She is an inaugural recipient of the 2021 Joan Mitchell Fellowship. Other recent solo exhibitions include Shoshana Wayne Gallery in Los Angeles, Mary Boone Gallery in New York, the Orlando Museum of Art in Florida, and Mother Gallery in Beacon, New York. Her work was recently included in group exhibitions at Inman Gallery in Houston, Miles McHenry Gallery in New York, Essex Flowers in New York, The Reinstitute in Millerton, New York, Friedrichs Fraser Gallery in New York, Jeffrey Young Gallery in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, Jeff Bailey Gallery in Hudson, New York, PS1 Contemporary Art Center in Long Island City, and she has public artwork at PS92Q in Queens and HHS Lerner Children Pavilion in New York. Her work is included in permanent collections of the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth, Texas, the Orlando Museum of Art in Florida, the San Jose Museum of Art in California, the Hirshhorn Museum in Washington, D.C., and the Pizzuti Collection at Columbus Museum of Art in Ohio. 
Chie has a show up now at DC Moore Gallery in New York City. I spoke to Chie about growing up in Brazil, landing in America for art school, playing the melodica, building up a surface, and much more. Here's our conversation. So yeah, Thank you. we can we can go now. Um, okay. So you said you would never lived in Japan. Oh, I, I have until three years old. Oh. And then yeah. I went back to Japan, you know, with my family for vacation every few years, I think, as we were growing up. My sister and I were growing up there yeah. in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Well, I, you know, I did a little research. I don't <laughs> normally do research. <laughs> I Thank you. <laughs> I don't normally do a lot of research. And I know you, I feel like I know you pretty well. Yeah. But I don't know yeah. your origin story or anything. And I was thinking about uh, the fact that, like, since you're from Brazil, essentially, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was like, why are there so, there's more Japanese people who live in Brazil than mm-hmm. any other foreign country from Japan? Is that right? That's it true. Was, oh, it's not Peru. I guess there's more in Brazil. There's more in Brazil. I looked it up. Okay. Wikipedia oh. never lies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, anyways, there's a lot, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, well, why is that? So I, I learned a little bit about the immigration of like workers from Africa at first, and then they put a limit on that, and then Europeans and all of that. So it was interesting. And then I was like, okay, well, why did your parents move there? What happened? Like, what? Well, so uh, they we moved there in nine. I believe it was in 1976 when I was three years old. And uh, um, back then, a lot of um, Japanese firms were um, um, sending uh, people to start a branch of their companies, you know, over the world. Right. And uh, including Brazil. And uh, my father was sent there uh, to start a branch of a shipping company he was working for. And uh, um, he was the first person to get there. And he did not speak even, I don't think a single Portuguese. He yeah. spoke a little English and that was about it. Right. But we could survive there because there is such a big um, Japanese immigrant community there. Right. So only thing, I think my mom learned was at first, like a first day there was leche, which meant milk. So she could mm-hmm. buy one. Right, right. <laughs> and they just went from there. You know, they were in, I believe in thirties and thought they were just going there for a year to three years and ended up being there for 20 years until they left the year I graduated from grad school. Now, did they stay because of you or because of the job? Because of the job. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it was a long, that's a long tenure. Because isn't it usually, <laughs> like you said, yeah. it's usually a few years and then they send you back mm-hmm. to your company. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I guess things were going well in Brazil. Yes. I mean, it was like a 70s to 80s to early 90s, yeah. I believe. So um, like the boom. Yep. Yep the you know the bubble bursted after that and the, but they were still there um 
And uh, so because of uh, the, all the Japanese firms presence there and also Brazil being so far away from Japan, um, there in Sao Paulo, especially, there was a really big Japanese school. So everybody that were, that came with their kids could send their kids to the Japanese school that was going with the curriculum, just like it would be going in Japan. Right. So, you know, if they're there only for six months or one, one year or three years, they can go right back into Japanese school system. So I went there from first grade to ninth grade. Right. So you, so you're obviously it's being taught in Japanese. Are you learning Portuguese and English? Uh, English came late, you know, like uh, uh, later in life. Um, you know, in Japanese school system, we start English on uh, seventh grade, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And uh, I think my sister and I started to learn English a little before that, but I learned English more because after after the ninth grade, we, you know, all the kids had choice, like if the family was still there, we all had choices to either go back to Japan, go to Brazilian school system, or go to international um, American school. So I wanted to try to stay here. I mean, not here, there. So, um, yeah, I did uh, study English to go to high school. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, it must have. Well, I guess and, you only. I guess you only know what you know, but mm-hmm. it seems like it would be a challenging. I mean, if you're three, you you just adapt to it. But it seems yeah. like a challenging environment because the thing that's so interesting to me is, I don't know if I can think of a more polar opposite culture from Japanese <laughs> culture than Brazilian culture. <laughs> It, it is pretty wildly different. It's and, out uh, there. Like in Brazil, it's out. Like everything's <laughs> out. <laughs> yep, yep. Which is a little so different. So Portuguese, I did learn just by going to kindergarten. Yeah. Uh, that was Brazilian. And also having friends. Right. So you learned Portuguese. Yeah. It's pretty great. A trifecta. It's, it's really dormant right now, but I can right. hear and read, and you know, I just my foreign language brain is English. So yeah, that's where I'm stuck. Your second, right the second language is yeah, is English. Oh it's, no, it's, yeah, Japanese, then English, then Portuguese, or no? <laughs> what's the order? Like, what's your order of comfort? Jap- Japanese. English and then Portuguese right now, but Portuguese and English were backwards when I was growing up. And then Finnish, or do you speak Italian or any (laughs) others? I am not linguistically oriented at all. I only can't say that when you speak three. Yeah, (laughs) but three. I have a sister that can pick up any languages left and right. You know, it's so naturally. cool, isn't it? I always yeah, like, uh, yeah it's like awesome. a European person. You know, yeah, I yeah. am not like that. English is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 an impressive trifecta. I mean, it's 
but culturally too, was it, I, you know, I guess it's not a shock because if you're three, when you go there, it's what you're used to, but I imagine, well, and there's a large Japanese community there. How was it as far as like growing up? Did you feel at like an outsider or did you feel pretty tied into culture? Both, you know, yeah. it was really complicated. Um, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was it complicated in a really challenging emotional way, or was it was it okay? It was just navigating those waters. Cause, you know, some some environments it can be challenging, but there's a positivity to it. And in other places, it could be you know detrimental or kind of like stressful in a way that you feel like an outsider. Or... I was hiding. I felt like an outsider, but it was definitely challenging. I yeah got bullied you know when I was little little in Japanese school a uh, couple years and uh, that was on fun and yeah. uh, I think I was very shy little kid so right. that didn't really help <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't really understand some social cultural codes you know yeah. as a kid so, I mean, you know, you learn those things and uh, how to survive pretty quickly. And I also had a great time going to school there as well. Yeah. I have great memories and, you know, some really close friends I still talk to. Right. But, um, yeah, it didn't feel like New York City where, you know, it's so cosmopolitan and international that I felt like oh I just you know I'm invisible great <laughs> yeah it's the, that melting mm -hmm. the melting pot thing which is so seems so um just New York right I don't know if it's like that anywhere else I, I mean there's diversity but the yeah. New York really feels like they just threw a bunch of people together <laughs> yeah and I feel very comf comfortable there yeah also yeah yeah it's funny because you know i i feel really i mean not that what well, i feel really comfortable or, or i'm interested in my son's experience going to school mm -hmm. here in new york city because his friends are all like the diversity and mixing of people and cultures is like amazing you know what mm -hmm. i mean like he just had a bunch of friends over yesterday and like there was it wasn't there wasn't just one person from one place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were all like, you know, and no one cared. Like, no one here cares. They're just like, oh yeah, doesn't they don't even think about it. It's it's really cool. It's just like almost like a free, there's a real freedom to it, you know. Definitely. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, you had a little bit. And then growing up, as far as um creativity is concerned, mm -hmm. was it something that was in your family or that was around you? Or where did you start to tap into your interest of being creative? So I tried to think of this because I listened to your other podcast. And are you saying you know, unpredictable? No, no, <laughs> this is a really interesting question. And, you know, I don't have a, like, a, I don't come from artist family, as yeah. I told you, my father was a business person. And then, um, but my father was just 
telling me a story about my grandfather who I didn't really get to know that well because he deceased when I, by the time I was mm, five or even younger. Um, But he was, his family, actually my um, father's side of family still has this sign making business. And back then when he was a kid, the sign making meant either make a really large scale paintings at Japanese public bath, or which I'm not pretty sure. I I, I don't really know if he made those, but I I think those are included. Or do calligraphical writing, you know? So he was remembering how his father used to have orders to make um, like a happy new year sign. Right. You know, for That's the new cool. year. Yeah, so yeah. New Year's Eve was really, really busy and the whole family would be up all night and all day long he'd be, you know, making this calligraphy on the street outside of outside of their house. Yeah. And you know, and in a in public. And right. uh, uh they will hang like in four or five story building. That's like, really a cool. huge, yeah, huge. Yeah writing i would have loved to have seen that yeah it reminds me of those like the (laughs) ukiyo-e with those like the it's not noden what are the the tall ones you know what i mean that are like those they look like flags but there's Mm -hmm. often Mm -hmm. like the kanjis on them yes but they're obviously they're hand painted oh definitely huge it must be like a lot of work to do that so he could do those that's so cool and uh, well there's your creativity link right there yeah (laughs) and then my mom is just a very creative person if she has um been raised you know like in our generational time or something like that yeah she would have been an artist right and my parents grew up in that era right Hmm? or that she didn't grow up in that environment basically yeah she's a post-war child yeah you know right um but she always painted and drew a lot and uh, I've seen I've never seen my mother's paintings but she I've only seen it in a photograph and she loved soutine so she made that kind of expressionistic oh wow that's funny Yeah. Kaim Sutin, right? She's always a little bit disappointed that I don't paint like that. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, Sutin's the best painter. That's so funny. That's a very, I mean, Sutin is amazing, but that's such a, mm-hmm. I don't want to say random, but that's, that's not, it's usually Matisse or Picasso or someone like, you know, I Sutin's know. a deeper cut. That's pretty cool. <laughs> She's really cool. Yeah. What about music? So what's the music situation like? Music up? situation is um you're in two very different very different musical cultures as well definitely and uh, you know I think I started to practice piano when I was mm, I don't know seven maybe or even younger and I was taking classical piano lessons until 19 oh wow or 18 18 yeah so you can Actually, still maybe I stop a little before. Uh, no, not anymore. I mean, you know, I mean, I can touch the piano, but I cannot sing with it, you know. Like, well, I could touch it too, but that doesn't mean it's going to sound good. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so 
you know, we, my sis, sister and I both practice at least hour to two hours per day all our life. Oh, so you had a piano in the house. Mm-hmm. That's yep. cool. I, I'm really, a red that's, one. I would, whoa, nice. <laughs> I would have loved to have a piano in the house. I had a friend who had one growing up and it was always like exotic when I would go to his house and there's a piano and I'd, I'd want to play it. And you could tell that the people in the house were annoyed if you started playing it because A, I wasn't good or we were, whoever was playing, it wasn't good. And they, every kid who came over there must've just started banging on the piano and they were just leave it alone. But it seemed so cool to have this giant instrument in the house. Well, it was a stand-up piano, but yeah, still a pretty large instrument. And uh, so I understand a lot of things through, you know, piano be the percussion instrument, right. you know, that is melodic uh, in my head. And, uh, you know, I never thought I would become a painter. So what I used to do that was creative growing up was... Um, mostly uh, play the piano and, uh, you know, I would, I would play it as well as I could so I could close my eyes so I could visualize what I was playing. Yeah. And uh, it was, that was the way I used to play it. And I do miss it. Yeah. Well, you ha- I can't practice two hours a day anymore, you know? <laughs> not enough. I know I, I play you know, I play guitar my whole life pretty much since I was young. And, you know, I, it takes effort to just, you know, bring it out for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes and play on it because, you know, time mm-hmm. is of the essence. And sometimes it's hard to just get around to it. With piano, though, it's a different story. I mean, unless you have a keyboard, it's a much yeah. bigger commitment to have a piano. Yeah, Josh got me a melodica recently. Oh, nice. Yeah, because um, I've been listening to... Um, what is it? What's his name? Augustus Pablo? Is that oh, yeah. saying it correctly? Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, I love that sound. I, I don't know if you know this, but all the Japanese kids have melodica. And yeah, the one you blow their, in. It's like a yeah. little keyboard you blow into. Yeah. All, all their life. Like every yeah. single kid has one of those. So oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. But the one he got, it has like a metallic um what is it casing and the sound projection is so beautiful oh that's cool but i I haven't been touching it lately so i'm going to restart maybe i can play with you sometime yeah that sounds great you know i didn't even know what the melodica was until there was a band (laughs) that uh, i used to like in back in college days called tortoise and they actually brought one out what yeah they play they on their first record they played the melodica on tracks I have to go back and find that. I, I didn't realize that. I didn't pick that up. Yep. First record. That's... I didn't know either. I like I heard it on the the CD, yeah. but I didn't realize until we went to see them live and uh-huh. he pulled out this thing and he was playing it. I was like, what the hell's going on? Oh, amazing. But yeah, like dub musicians, like reggae musicians used to mm-hmm. use it sometimes too, which was, I think, where they probably got turned on to it. Mm. Yeah, it's a cool instrument. Yeah, I, I, I like it. But so it playing, is really different. Yeah, it is for sure. But you had, so you had the musical outlet. And then what, it, yeah. I mean, were you listening to classical music in the house? Were your parents so, fans of music? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like Brazil in 1980s. 
70s and late 70s and 80s and early 90s. So we had we didn't have uh, vinyl. We had CDs. Yeah. And uh, you know it was like a small selection of CDs, but I used to listen to it. Like that's that was like one of the favorite thing to do on yeah. the weekends. And I don't know. I guess I was like anxious, not anxious, but um, like anxiety filled emotional teenager that like to listen to like symphony and cry <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty so sad. <laughs> that's a refined emo it's not <laughs> yeah emo exactly that that that's it that's that's exactly what i was doing but like classicals like the the, the old school real emo not like emo <laughs> music like well you know. i didn't really have access to other you know that much like uh um so it was really limited and also my piano um lessons like er early piano lessons were all suzuki method have you heard that so you listen to a lot of music you know you learn from listening yeah Um, that's that's a very specific Mm-hmm. Yeah, my friend Logan Takahashi, who I've talked to for the podcast as a musician, he that's how he learned how to play as well. And it's really? uh, yeah, yeah, it's a really yeah, it seems rigorous, I would say. <laughs> Very much. Yeah. Yeah. So my s- sister and I used to listen to like same cassette tape that uh was from there every night as we were falling asleep. Yeah. Well, Brazilian music, though, seems, I mean, from what I know of Brazilian music, seems so upbeat and kind of, you know, I mean, my, the Brazilian music I go to is like samba, you know, of course. Definitely, yeah. Gilberto and all the the classic Mm -hmm. stuff. And like Marcos Mm -hmm. Valle and that stuff is very upbeat, kind of like, you know, I'm sure there's sad Brazilian music. I just haven't delved into it. Well, or emo Brazilian emo. <laughs> there is actually like a. I'm sure. What? Who is it that you just mentioned? Uh, like a bossa nova classic people. I mean, Gilberto? all of the yeah yeah all those uh songs actually have a little bit of sadness, like a, a yeah. feeling of saudade, you know, like right. longing. A little and melancholy it, in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of music that. I do respond to even today. My friend Ellen Alfest, who you yeah. did a, another interview with, yeah, yeah. said, Oh, yeah, you like sad music. Whenever yeah. I send her something, like, listen to this, she'll be like, Oh, yeah, that's that's your taste. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that can play out, I guess, in different kinds of music, whether it's classical or samba. Or... Mm-hmm. But so, so music was around. Obviously, it was a big part. When did you start to transition from? you know, audio to visual? Audio to visual? Okay, so in my senior year in high school, I took an art class. Like, you know, just because I have extra space to fill in my schedule. Right. And we all know art class is easy. (laughs) (laughs) Easy I I just thought, oh, that would be fun, you know. Right. And, uh, um, uh, I met this uh, teacher, uh, Mrs. Ragab, who just started to teach there that semester. And uh, I hardly knew how to even draw like a hand from life. But 
just even doing that somehow got my head hooked. Yeah. So you knew so, that early? You were really into it? Uh, I mean, not I mean, knew that you wanted to do that forever, but you just knew you liked it. It just I just felt some part of my brain shift. You yeah. know, that sensation of brain thinking in different parts of the brain. Definitely. Does it make sense? No, it's like you're in the math room part of your brain and then mm-hmm. you like walk mm-hmm. out the door and you cross the hallway to the art side of your brain mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I like this place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this and feels a little like, better. Uh, this seems like something I could think for a lifetime, right. even though I had no idea how to make anything. That's kind of how I felt. And, you know, just like any kid growing up, uh, my family loved going to picnic and pick up a watercolor and you know draw us a family type of thing so we drew a lot but I just never took took it seriously in a way that you know I encountered and just looked like trying to draw something from life right but then I mean if that's your senior year yeah I mean you went to art school after that so That was a pretty quick transition into the deep end of the pool. So um, a lot of universities from um, America came to recruit to our high school. And, uh, you know, there are all just like, I don't know, all kinds of American universities. And I was planning on going back to Japan for college. So I was just kind of wandering around, uh, you know, with curiosity and I saw this person Jim Dean from Ringling College of Art and Design where I went to school you know by himself (laughs) because my well everybody was not thinking about going to art schools and he was the only art school that came down to our school and I said hello and he encouraged me to apply to Ringling, which I never even considered. Like I you probably didn't, didn't even like, know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I didn't understand what portfolio meant or right. you know, the whole thing. I I just wasn't even planning on going to art school in Japan. So um but more time I spent with Mrs. Ragab that I ended up be more interested and then making the portfolio and then I applied. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like back then, <laughs> there's no internet. There's no, mm-hmm. like you could just bump into the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, there yeah. you are. Oh, I'll, you know, and someone tells you about a place and you're like, okay, I'll try that. It's pretty cool. Definitely. If you I know, didn't it, meet him, I probably would have. I don't know, become a businesswoman. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Do you wonder wonder that? Of like, oh, my God, what would I have done if I went back to Japan? A little bit. But, you know, at the same time, I am Japanese. and uh, That's true. um, (laughs) Right. Well, and my name, Chie, spells out as... 1,000 pictures, right? Yes. Yes. So. Such um, a cool name, by the way. (laughs) I love that. I feel like, thank you. I feel like 
it's meant to be. Like I would have ended up doing this no matter what. Yeah, it was it was written in your name and your parents it's not like they went for a hundred. They went all the way to a thousand. So they were pushing you to be ambitious from the start. I don't know if I will ever make a thousand, but I would like to try. You probably made a thousand images, right? You, I don't know. I should have if started. You add counting. them all up. Yeah. Sketches. Okay. and. Oh, right. Those count. Okay. I have a friend who named, names his artwork, like the number of the artworks that he's done. Which I, I wish. Pretty cool. I, I should have done that. I never thought of doing that. Yep. Well, there's no turning back now. <laughs> At some point, you could just call one a thousand and say, yep, I did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to trust me. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite artists is Ankawada, and his work amazes me that yeah. he had that. Yeah, and you probably, I mean, you've been to Dia Beacon, right? Where I live. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't live in... Yeah, but yeah, I lived in India right. in. <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> I wished. <laughs> but yeah, that that sort of seriality of making that painting over and over again is just like amazing. Yeah. It's like meditation of some sort. But yeah, yeah so is is that I don't I, I just don't know any other chies, but I'm sure is it a common use of kanji for that name? Well, it's an old school use of kanji. I think younger generation is coming back to it again. But yeah. while I was growing up, it was seldomly heard in people's great grandmother's name or something. That's right. kind of what the impression I got. Like old, yeah. Yeah. It would be it would have been spelled there there, there are chias, but different different kanji. Not a thousand, right. Or the it part changes you know, like wisdom or something. Right, right. That's cool. So um, how was the transition to Ringling? Was that, I don't know much of, I mean, I know Ringling (laughs) and and I, you know, I had friends who went there, but I don't know that much about the school itself and the culture there and the vibe of, you know, the area and stuff. Was it, was it kind of another culture shock in a way? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I got there without really knowing what Florida was, except for, you know, hearing a little bit about Miami. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ringling is in Sarasota, where there are a lot of um, retirement communities. And uh, I just thought, wow, there's a lot of old people in the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) And Floridians, too. (laughs) Yeah, and so that that was a cultural shock. And my mom called and asked um, what it was like, and I said it's like that movie Cocoon. No, oh my God, that's actually the perfect way to describe it. <laughs> Old Floridians. That yeah. sounds like a great atmosphere to make artwork. <laughs> it, it actually was, you know, yeah. because we only had each other. You no know, distractions. Like a, yeah, small group of people. And I didn't have a car until, I don't know, third year of college. So I was stuck on campus. And you probably got a lot of work done. Were your, yeah. were your parents pro the art school thing or were they, uh, how were they on it? I don't, I think they thought I was going to go back to Japan, you know, maybe yeah. in the middle of the school and transfer back to another college or, you know, 
they might say no, no now, but uh, I remember having that kind of conversation. I, yeah. I think, especially because um, U.S. was a country that they never lived in. Right. I think, I, and also my family always were spending time in Brazil thinking that one day we are returning all back to Japan. So um, rather than art school, it was more about where I was living. Yeah, you went off the grid. You took a big left turn there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, you went north. It was going to be an east or west thing here. And you went up there. Yep. <laughs> but did you enjoy it? Was it those art school kind of a vibe for you that you were into? Yeah. What was it, it just sounds like you are always, uh, maybe I'm like, I don't know what it was like, but it just sounds like you were never really comfortable you know what i'm saying like you're yeah. always in an environment where you're adjusting to it and you're i guess, not reading in <laughs> yeah like that in like the transient feeling mm -hmm. but yep. then maybe if you're used to it you get comfortable in that in a way i don't know you tell me like I, i'm it's just i'm curious as to what that's like sort of hop skipping through these different places and I mean, yeah. when I went to Ringling, my English was not at the level it is today. So, you know, my friend Jay Davis, who I'm sure you know. Of course, um, yeah. Uh, from Williamsburg, right? Um, uh, used to say, oh, Jay used to say, uh, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> if he asked, you know, opinion about, like, any anything he was making we we were in the same studio building together and, and right. uh, yeah and that was your comfortable word i don't remember doing that but i remember smoking a lot of cigarettes and drinking <laughs> a lot of coffee and that's all i could handle right. and uh, i mean i understood better what i was reading than actually being able to verbally communicate outwards right. yeah so i had a lot of thoughts but you know, and my hands were busy, but um, yeah, maybe language came a little more afterwards when I went to grad school. It's so perhaps. hard though, because you, like if I go to Japan and I'm ordering food, it's, it's easy. Or mm -hmm. if I'm asking where the bathroom is, that's easy. But talking about art is not easy. It was difficult. That's like a totally different language. Like I yeah. still don't know art language. Me neither. <laughs> So like, I can't imagine like as a second language trying to delve into that. It seems so daunting. But I feel really lucky I went there. I met a lot of uh, my friends I'm still close with, such as Aiko Hachisuka and Christian Teal and, you know, Jay Davis and many, many more yeah. people that I'm still in really close conversation with. So, Did you like your teachers too? Was oh my gosh. Yeah. Experience? Really yeah. amazing to work with every one of the people there, and I was especially close with uh, my teacher, Leslie Lerner, yeah. um, who was and, a big influence on all of us, actually. Yeah. Well, what was the arc of your work like? Like, what were you doing at the beginning? <laughs> and then how did you come out of it? So I don't really... I didn't think I was going to become or focus on painting until uh, 
fourth year in college. Yeah. What uh, were really, you doing before that? Drawing? Uh, everything. Like more three-dimensional, like a yeah. sculptural. And I thought that was the direction I wanted to go. But um, um, I applied to Yale Norfolk program, which used to be a painting program. Right. Um, now it's, you know, everything, but multidisciplinary. But um, that I came back from there and basically I just was like, wow, painting. So, you know, interesting. Like uh, that is the direction I want to focus. And I just switched. So was it, um, was it more of like what you were seeing? You know what I mean? Or were you, was it more of what you were seeing or what you were doing? What, what do you mean? Like in, uh, with the attraction to painting, like you were starting to do it or were you just surrounded by painting? And then you, when you came back, you thought, I'm going to start doing this stuff. Well, I painted all summer. I only had three paintings I ever made before I went to Norfolk program. Mm-hmm. Uh, my portfolio was mostly drawings and sculptures and then three paintings at the end. <laughs> so um, I was surrounded by all these amazing painters, young painters. And, uh, you know, um, I was trying to keep up with them. Yeah. And uh, by the time I left being there for six weeks, I was just totally, I don't know, um taken over by it (laughs) yeah you must have been really uh it must have been a great experience it was I applied to that thing and I didn't get in (laughs) but I was (laughs) like I thought oh this must be so fun you know it was fun but you went to Skowhegan it's the same thing yeah it's like art camp yeah yeah Skowhegan was great yeah so uh did you feel when you came back like well, I mean, obviously, you were going to apply to Yale after that. And is that what made you yeah. interested in that? I mean, I did not have an idea of going to graduate school until I went there. And yeah. I also thought Yale and art, what? You know, I right. didn't really, well, it's pre-internet. So I didn't know anything about all of that. And uh, um, the conversation I got to have there with, you know, all the peers and also the TAs and the faculty was just unforgettable. And I wanted more of that. So I thought, I'm going to go to Yale and I'll try three times. And if I don't get in, I'll give up and do some, you know, like, just don't think about grad school. But I was like, it would be worth trying. Yeah. So did you get on your first time? And what was the work you applied with? What was it like? Uh, it was most of the paintings were square in format and large, and uh, they had like a, a usually really poppy flat colors or blackboard black that was really matte, and then on top of it, I would paint pretty expressionistic paintings that were ornamental language oriented I thought (laughs) back then and then also um, I was working a lot 
with uh, for that you know application uh, work. I was working a lot with a uh, um, wrapping paper material. Yeah, and what was your you know what was the sort of um, relationship to material and the way that you were working? What were you thinking about at that time? Was it pure exploration, or do you feel like it was tied to you know, because I feel like a lot of Brazilian work, like mm-hmm. people from Brazil, there's color, there's lots of color, there's a vibrancy mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's, you know, if you feel like you were bringing in what you were growing up around as far as like palette and energy wise, or if that was not related to that. And it was, you know, you were making conceptual work that was born out of like your your ideas of, you know, I'm, I want to do this. It's not related to an unconscious sort of reflection of my experiences. It's more purposeful, you know. You know, I went to art school in the 90s. So I read a lot of that kind of book. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know what oh, I'm yeah. talking about. Right there with you. <laughs> so I thought that's what the work was about um, when I spoke about it. Yeah. But in retrospect, looking back, it was just totally pure, um, you know, paintings out of unconscious and really um, exploring what oil paint can do. Yeah, just playing around with this with the material. I mean, I did have some formal ideas, and you know, when I remember them, and uh, but I think they were just very emotional paintings. Yeah. They were abstract. Right. Yeah, but, you know, that that school environment that we were in was so, I don't know, maybe it was, it would be great to be able to go back in time and, like, be a fly on the wall and see how it played out. Because (laughs) I think in our minds, our our experience is probably a little different than how it actually went down. Mm Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of defensiveness of like, in the sense that like, you really need to stand behind what you're doing and have this solid explanation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was stressful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure it was still the same. You, you were here after me at Yale, but yes. I'm sure it was still the same kind of feeling. But painting was dead, you know? Then. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't in vogue. I think there was little bits of it maybe possibly coming back Mm -hmm. but yeah it wasn't like you know I mean sculpture was where it was at that's where all the cool kids Mm -hmm. were yeah (laughs) we were we were not yeah and we were passe we were like the (laughs) you know the the monkeys over in the building throwing paint at a piece of cloth or something and you know the the sculpture people had all the good ideas yeah they seemed so intelligent I mean they they, they were they were yeah Um, they were sculpture program was always doing something really amazing over there at Hammond Hall. Yeah, and we definitely had a quotient of people who were just like, I'm just paint, you know, we had the sort of conceptual of the more heady people. And then we just had the people like, yeah, I just like to paint. I'm just making pictures. <laughs> don't ask me. Like, I don't know. I'm just making pictures. Which uh, th- I That's don't think that would fly. Yeah, it That's- is. But I don't think conceptually that would fly in sculpture. It felt much more. Oh, right, right. You and who knows what the hell program. was happening in photography. That was like a whole, there was like a click, like a, a separate club in the basement of the art building. It was just, who knows what happened there. <laughs> but good, <laughs> good work, amazing work. But it seemed like its own thing. Yeah. And, it was, and it was so separated. 
I guess now yeah. it's not like that anymore. I think we were towards the end of this real siloing of, you know, splitting I, up the genres. I think, I think it had to do with like uh, distance. Yeah, the geography. I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know what you were like in grad school, but I hardly ever got out of, uh, out of three blocks radius from art buildings. I was just, <laughs> I lived over on Hope. I, I literally was like two blocks away and I would just walk <laughs> back. Although I played music, so sometimes that got me out and about because mm -hmm. I had friends that I played I remember seeing you guys undergrads. play so yeah so we yeah. I think that forced me out of that little mini radius at times and then you know I would go over to sculpt sculpture felt like you know two years away even though it was probably like five blocks or something it felt really probably far. not that far now right. yeah but but I would go over there a bunch too that was exciting to go yeah yeah talk to those people but yeah it was kind of it was small, you know, it was a small little scene and, and very concentrated, which I think was yep. a good thing for getting a lot of work done. And they had the biggest videos. They did. That's true. So, but, but everyone loved your work. You had a cakewalk there. Everyone was like really into Chie. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> like people hated my work when I was there. Really? I don't yeah. remember that. There was only like two supporters of mine. I remember this crazy biomorphic painting that you're making that had three-dimensional part coming out. And, uh, you know, it had really specific color. And you told me about Martha Stewart. I hardly knew what she was at that moment. I was like, Martha Stewart, I think I heard of her. And you got me, you got me interested <laughs> to her show. And uh, yeah, I, I still can picture that painting hanging on the left of your door of your studio. I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. And, like bulbous forms and weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you still have it? Oh, no, none of that work. That all either, isn't it weird? Like what happens to some of that? <laughs> I, we had those art sales at the end of the year. And I think uh, grad students in like architecture or graphic design would come buy stuff. Oh. Someone once sent me a picture of one of the paintings I did in grad school. And I like, I was shocked. I was like, oh my God, someone has that. And they were like, they were like, hey, this is your old painting that I bought from you. I would love was, to see that. Yeah, it was surreal. I think about those, those paintings you made then. Well, I think Not about those actually. giant wall, those huge <laughs> paper pieces with the stamps that you were doing. It were very cool. Thank you. But you were in the uh the, that second year. You were speaking of being siloed. You were over in that other building. Yeah, Park Street Studios. Which again was maybe like a hundred yards away, but it felt like two <laughs> years away. <laughs> I know, I know. What the hell yeah. is with like the distance? It felt so far when you were younger or something. I don't know. Yep. Yeah, and there were only I don't know maybe five studios over there. Yeah, it was very quiet over there, yeah. or at least seemingly. I mean, I didn't really go over much, but it seemed pretty. We hung peaceful. out with each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I remember. And you even had like, and your studio was big. And then you even had mm -hmm. like a side room there mm -hmm. or something, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Pretty nice. It's pretty so nice. I, if place. it wasn't for those two spaces, my own studio and the other one, yeah. I would have not made the work I made in my grad school. I mean, second right. year. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly why I chose that space when you know, we have the end of the year lottery. Right, the lottery. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I had the one. Oh, a little on, lonely. <laughs> right, I can imagine. My yeah. second year, I got the one on the first floor that was a bigger one, but I wanted one that was like close to the sign-up sheets for the critiques because I got, mm. I didn't want to miss that. Right. It was always a little bit of a mad scramble when they would put up those sign-up sheets yeah. for visiting artists. Yeah. What's the most interesting story about Yale? I thought I remember, only thing I could remember was the fact that I dropped um, a Masonite, two Masonites, I think, on top of a fourth floor um, skylight or fifth floor skylight while Josh really? was having his final crit. <laughs> <laughs> oops <laughs> yeah and I was like should I tell that story or not and I was like I don't want to be on record about that but that story pre-internet I mean email was around but nobody was using it right um got so famous that my sister was going to college in Boston and she heard that some random person dropped um and broke the skylight in Paul Rudolph building <laughs> And uh, <laughs> she was like, have you heard of this? And I, I was like, no, it was me. That's uh, so funny. Wow, word travels. Yeah, and that cost about $7,500. Oh, yeah, that's which, a Paul Rudolph building. Nothing's cheap in that place. No, and uh, that, was, um, that was about the amount of money that Blair Dickinson gave me. They didn't charge and, you for it, though, right? No, but I was so scared that oh, yeah. they would like be like, oh, that's exact amount. Give it to me. And I really <laughs> needed it for my lawyer. So I was just like, oh, my God, I better leave this campus as soon as possible with this, <laughs> this <Yeah>. check. <laughs> Get out before they charge me. Yeah. They bill me later for the skylight. Yeah. But you, it was, it was, um, yeah, I think it was a pretty formative experience. I, I would imagine your work really changed over the course. I mean, obviously, oh my gosh, so much. Year, but... I remember Mel coming into my studio my first year and said, Are you trying to show off that you're trying to do every single idea you have that are? <laughs> <laughs> and I was so like, Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny he had a way didn't he of like you know really making you like when he left the studio you would just have this big question mark above your head of kind mm -hmm, of like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the critical issues course that he taught was so significant for me yeah he did okay I don't know what kind of lectures he did for your class but the one that he did of Jasper Johns was so big I and don't, remem I, I don't remember it. We happened to have a um, retrospective at MoMA that year, uh, I guess 1996. And, uh, um, you know, he talked about, you know, his influences. And, um, yeah, it, we, a lot of us went to see the show at MoMA many times. And it really changed the way I think about painting. Yeah. You know, what's funny about, cause I had that course and I remember really great discussions happening. Mm -hmm. And I remember really heady texts, like we were reading stuff that was pretty mm -hmm. heavy and mm -hmm. some of it I got, and some of it was just like, you know, I just wasn't there yet, you know, mm -hmm. but I can't remember specifics of 
the conversation. It's it is. I think it is. I do remember <laughs> him always wearing a Yankees hat when he walked in. Yeah, and right. Down and very slowly take off the hat and yeah, a very slow sort of pace to it. I remember his hands. Yeah, yeah. How he talked with his hands. Yes, he did. And he, at the the last critique he gave me before I graduated, he said, "What are you gonna, you know?" It, in his slow sort of like, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> Everybody loves him too. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to move to New York. He's like, well, it's not easy. That was his, <laughs> that was the, the advice. It ain't easy down there. And he was right. It's not it's, easy. Nope. Yep. Yeah. So when you graduated, I mean, it was just moved to New York. That was the plan. Well, I definitely had to because I was on student visa when I was at Yale, and then I was transitioning to um, H1, the working visa. Right. And I worked for a Japanese firm. Oh, in the city? uh, Sponsored it, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And paid a lawyer's fee with Blair Dick. Um, I mean, that's the, it came out, but Blair Dickinson. Memorial oh prize. yeah 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 the prize it was oh, like that... exactly the amount the amount that... yeah <laughs> it's meant to be yeah that's pretty cool so you got a gig right after school in, in the city yeah everybody was applying for teaching jobs i remember or doing something else and really? i was right stressed... out of school well maybe not everybody but i felt like about five people were and uh, um it felt like everybody I was like wow they're so organized but I <laughs> I thought uh I need to get some Japanese firm that would sponsor my stay so yeah that's what I was thinking about so how was that job I guess it got you to the city and it got you settled I imagine and yeah. started up yep yep definitely it was uh I was doing the payroll for the company was it hard working in like, I'm imagining like a Japanese firm being pretty, you know, like Japanese business-like where it's very by the book or, you know, or just a sort of hierarchy, I imagine. Was it? Definitely. Tricky? But my boss was really cool. I really, oh, that works. Yeah. So um, she would, I felt like she was really there for me and uh, she was okay with the fact that I did not how to like enter all these numbers after numbers all day long. <laughs> to <laughs> enter that, your job? <laughs> that was my job. Yeah. It was cool with you not really knowing how to do the job. Yeah. I learned it though. <laughs> That's I the learned... best kind of boss. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I had a lot of great conversations with her. That's cool. Yeah. Did she have an interesting story? Uh, what do you mean? Like, did you learn about, like, those conversations, were they about, like, past stuff, or, or was it about art and your experience? Not, or not, not much about art, all kinds of things, but I don't know. I, I'm one of those people that it's more impression. It's, it's been so long, you know, that's why I tried to, like, do a homework, but, um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember the specifics. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, I can't remember, like, two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty much focused on this moment like what's right in front of me usually. right right the here and now yep that's the only way to make a painting every minute of our life is in the present 
there is no future or past. It's always consecutive presence. You know what I mean? So you mm-hmm. might as well just live in it. That's yep. what I tell myself when I can't remember anything and people ask me stuff. <laughs> so I'm living in the moment, man. Don't ask me about that. <laughs> yep. It's, it's difficult. So you were so you were in the Sydney for a little while and then you moved, you were living in Beacon too, right? For a little while. What? Um, okay, so we lived in New York, I guess until early 2000s. And Josh and I, uh, my partner Joshua Marsh and I moved to uh, Pennsylvania and we lived there for 15 years. And then three years ago, uh, we moved to Beacon, New York. But you never lived there before at all? Beacon? No. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay, so it was straight to PA. Yep, yep, from Brooklyn. How was that dynamic? Because I know you were living between. I mean, did you, I would imagine there's something nice about being outside the city and spending that time, you know, outside the, the craziness? Definitely. I learned a lot from um, being there, um, especially from, we lived in the middle of the woods, like uh, na- next to a nature preserve. So uh, what I could see outside of the window was all these trees. And uh, I never lived in a natural environment like that growing up in the city of Sao Paulo. So um, I remember thinking I really don't understand this space that I was looking out the window. And uh, actually that um, little ravine that we were living in really influenced the kind of way I see things. Yeah. And was your work, I would imagine too, just the scale and the way that you're making your work could be altered by a change of, you know, studio and scenery as well, right? Definitely. It did influence me a lot. Yeah. So what kind of work were you making when you were there? Like what materials and how did you, what was your working situation like? Well, I made a lot of works on panel kind of similar to what I'm making right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a early versions of these plots that are realized today. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, it went to, you know, I was collaging. I, I started to collage uh, painted papers that, you know, I, I paint papers with acrylic and cut them and collage them uh, on the panel. and. Uh, I feel like uh, I started that process in Brooklyn, but it got more intensified in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And were you, was it a specific, like what drew you to the paper and was there a diversity of it or was the medium something you were really comfortable with or were you constantly exploring different ways of doing that? I think because I was working so heavily with uh, this uh, mulberry paper, um, uh, second year at Yale, it was just like a logical transition. Yeah. Um, I also uh, uh, worked with a lot of printmaking undergrad, so I had um, a strong relationship to paper. I just felt like, I don't know, something really close about, close and forgiving about the surface of paper. And uh, um because of paper, I started to use acrylic, but also the way acrylic would respond to the paper 
made a paint not look so much like acrylic paint, but yeah. closer to Iwai Enoku, you know, from like a Japanese paintings. And right. I didn't really at the moment know how to, you know, learn how to paint in Iwai Enoku. So my closest solution was to um, work with paper or make the paper look like Iwai Enoku paint. <laughs> I, know, right. I know it sounds like a backward way of thinking about things, but I think that was why I worked with it. And also I thought about the paper element as more like a kind of like, you know, well, not kind of really like Matisse, you know, like a, a shape that is red that, you know, shape that's cut out. So right. it's, it's like a paint carrier, you know, and it's given and you cut it and uh, you already have that shape like um, right. something more even though the process of doing all that takes a while it the immediacy and you know not necessarily flatness but you know i think in in there you and i may have a, a little bit in common about how we think about shaped colors yeah, there's like an architectural aspect to it. Like it's, and mm -hmm. it's a building block. Building there's something block. kind of like factual about it. Like factual. it is defined in a way, whether it's yes. flat or whether there's texture or whatever mm -hmm. it is, it's kind of like you're delineating that, mm -hmm. that step, you know what I mean? And then you can mm -hmm. layer and build that step. So it's a real sort of mm -hmm. like, um, it's a way of building images. And I, yep. you know, I, I've always, you know, like ukiyo-e and, and like Bijinga, and I, I love that kind of work. And mm -hmm. I've always liked it aesthetically, but when I, you know, I've never done a woodblock in my life, but the idea of- Me neither, actually. Yeah, yeah, the idea of removing each layer, inking it, and then printing, it's very, mm -hmm. it's like the flip way of, of doing a collage in a way where you're mm -hmm. adding up those layers, but it is very architectural in a sense. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're carving out and printing and building up the image through those layers. And Definitely. I think there's something really interesting about that, of that layering, you know, which is so much a part of technology too, mm -hmm. in a way. So what, what do you mean by that? Because, um, well, I do a lot of work on the computer and I draw mm -hmm. things out in different layers, and whether it's Illustrator oh, or Photoshop right, right, right. and like in animating, I, I sort of like move things around in these layers that to me feel very collage-like. Even the paintings are very collage-like. I'm just choosing certain areas and then blocking them out or doing something to a specific area and building them up that way, which is very similar to collage, but it's just, I'm not cutting out the stuff. I'm just placing those, I'm delineating the shapes, you know, mm -hmm. and then filling them. So it's like all related, but they're all subtly different. Yeah. And I kind of like that dialogue between all that stuff. Definitely. So when you're looking inspiration i mean your work to me from the outside feels like it's a confluence of all these different ways of seeing and making in in one image you know it's it's definitely not it's hard to explain it it's not horror evacuate like it's not like super what's super, the word you just used like uh a horror vacuum it's like a, a fear of like empty space or whatever like there's a lot going on throughout the entire picture plane in a way even if it's subtle 
Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of empty space. It's it's mm-hmm. very there's like a rhythm to the whole thing. You know, and Thank I you. and I wonder if you know, if you think about music in relation to your your art, what kind of like what does your art sound like? You know, um yeah, actually this part I did the homework because Uh-oh. <laughs> I haven't been, I haven't, well, you know, I blank out on names with musicians because I don't know, some people are so important to me, but I go through them and then kind of like what we were talking about earlier, I don't look back. And uh, um, I feel like, I tell me if you feel this way, but I feel like musicians are a little bit faster than us visual people at capturing whatever that's in the air and making it into a horn. Right. It's and it's it, more visceral in a mm-hmm, way because they're mm-hmm. playing it. Right. They're not making so, a picture of it. They're just, it's just being created yeah. like in the moment. Right. So I like to listen to, you know, really wide range of things. And uh, I'm not the best searcher, but a lot of my friends know that uh, I'm always craving for something. So they would send, you know, their recommendations toward my way, kindly. And uh, um, I am always listening, and I'm not synesthetic, but trying to imagine what that sound space looks like and also color looks like right. when I'm listening to especially music that is made you know like right now but at the same time I don't really think that much that linearly so it could be like from like 20 years ago and it would still have the similar kind of impact if it hits the right place yeah for whatever I'm looking for so usually it's really strange process but I listen to everything that's coming my way or like I can find possible to match the kind of sensation I am trying to paint. Right. And when I find it, I just played that one song or album on repeat. Over that's and over again. Yeah. For one painting. Yeah. And you know, as you know, my painting it takes a while. <laughs> Right. So I listen, I get stuck right. with one song for a while. So I you really bad. know that song by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't look back. So it'd be like 20 years later, I'd be like, oh yeah, that song. You know, if I hear on the radio or you know, somewhere. Right. But I may not even remember the name of the artist, which is yeah. so terrible because I do, you know, get so much from them. Well, does that mean that you're often kind of like listening to the next thing or moving on to the next source of inspiration? Mm-hmm. So what do you, what's, what's the current moment for you? What are you into now, both visually and audio wise? Uh, you know, recently I have been listening to, I don't know, I, I was I guess maybe because I was finishing work for the show, I needed something that was like steady beat um, that didn't make me tired. So not too fast, 
often I listen to really energetic music that's like too, way too poppy for anybody else except for me. And again, I feel bad for my neighbors uh, at the studios, but um, yeah, um, which keeps me going and kind of brings me, you know, um, connect me toward that mind space. Um, but recently, hold on, uh, you know, the return to the 37th chamber by L. Michael Safair. Yes, that was the sort of jazzy cover of the Wu-Tang record. 2017. So yeah. it's not that recent. I mean, I guess it is pretty recent, but that has been kind of with me, you know, a lot uh, because of that, you know, uh, because it doesn't make me tired. So right now it's not the kind of space I'm trying to make but it's more about running a marathon <laughs> like right. how to run a marathon with music and then um I can't never pronounce these guys name right but who k-h-r-u-a-n oh Kronbin. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I Kronbin. love them I just cannot get enough of them and they're really these good two, these two were recommended by uh uh, our friend John Hodani, he's like one of my music gurus and mm -hmm. he always sends like really good music and just recently anything he sends I just play it for the whole day that's what I've been doing yeah they're really good and they're really good live I don't know if you've I seen them bet. no not yet they do I, yeah he told me that during the pandemic when we were in lockdown that people he lives in Berlin uh, part of the time and he was like Oh, in Berlin, people are going to, you know, like bars and Kronbin is playing. We all danced and I was like, wow. Oh, it must be so, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that's why I partly like the music because I just imagine people in Berlin dancing, even though they're probably not doing that. It just makes me feel better when I'm painting. Yeah, you know, my... Um one of the the people I podcasted with her name's Brigine I don't know if you know her music mm -mm. but I believe recently she opened up for Krungbin like she did some shows with them and Ooh. her music is probably in that wheelhouse of that cool. kind of music. yeah I would love some recommendations from you I remember you and Jackie Gandell were the music gurus of Jackie. Yale <laughs> yeah I think you were more electronica is it like yeah and that, like a, that, i think at that, that time there was yeah. some really great like mouse on mars was out in stereo yeah. lab was doing really cool stuff yeah. there was a moment oh, yeah you love stereo lab in the man, air they, i remember they that. had a record that dots and loops record came out i think in 2000 and man that just blew me mm, away and definitely. then i saw them li like if you see them live they're so good live mm -hmm. that was like I a really good moment for live, live shows Definitely when, yeah, we were like around that time, um, seeing live show is so important, I feel like. Um, but uh, so Jackie was the indie rock person and you're the, the, other, the other camp. And uh, I felt like the whole year I was listening to both of your music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, visual arts, like a painting, sculpture and architecture and maybe even photo people, like everybody was listening to it. You guys music but our studio building um has a lot of bands in the basement 
Oh, that's right? cool. The sound is a little more, you know, soundproofed. And yeah. uh, I love listening to them play. Yeah, it's nice that, like, to feel the the music, like, vibrating your bones is, yeah. you know. It's Literally very, vibrating it's, through the brush I'm touching when. Oh, when wow, it's going on while wall. you're while yeah, you're going. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can feel it. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> that's a great thing. I You know, one of my first apartments in Brooklyn actually like my second apartment where I had a studio and I lived and with my wife who was my girlfriend at that time uh, mm-hmm. we had a downstairs neighbor who played drums and he was the worst drummer <laughs> like he could not keep a beat and <laughs> that would be tough <laughs> drove me crazy. like it couldn't work I couldn't concentrate because it's like oh man he's so off time so finally, like I, I went downstairs and I said, Hey, can you, sorry, man, can you, I'm just trying to work upstairs. It's a little distracting. He's like, Oh yeah, I won't play. I won't, I won't play that often. I would only play once in a while. And, and, you know, a couple hours later, he's just playing for like hours, like these bad beats. And he gave me his phone number to call. And did you call? I, I called him. I was like, listen, it wouldn't be so bad if you could actually play the drums. And then he got really mad. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I was at my wits end because I was working for a show and I couldn't couldn't take it. So it's good that you have good. If you have a local they're band really good. building, yes. you want them to be good. Yeah, they, they're great. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I yeah, I, that's I, an advantage. I hear the band called Pontoon Ray underneath us a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So what's where like where are you? Where's your like what's it like? It's a it's an old Beacon High School. Oh. So, it, so it's a big big building. It's a huge building with lots of lockers still in there. <laughs> so people that have high school high school trauma, all say oh. as soon as they walk in, they start telling us it's it's kind of funny. Everybody has their own traumatic memory. Yeah. Like oh, I got stuffed in a clock. What what is a locker and this and that. Like all these stories come out right before they come. They actually walk to our studios. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> the locker experience. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing what five minutes in between each class, how much drama could go down. You know, really? <laughs> like how many times your head could be stuck in a locker, or someone like makes fun of you, or whatever it is. Like, there's a lot that can happen in those short moments in between classes that are traumatic as a kid. There were lockers in, you know, my high school, American high school in Sao Paulo, but. I don't know. I, I don't I don't go there, but a lot of people, yeah. I, I think it's like a classic old high school space. Yeah. It's like a throwback. Yeah, my my son doesn't use the locker at school, just carries his bag around. I yeah. think most kids kind of graduated from the locker thing. They did? I didn't know that. Seemingly, so, or maybe in the city, or maybe it's COVID. You know what I mean? Maybe probably COVID. Yeah. I mean, it's too much to carry all these books. Do they not have books anymore? Books? You're just showing your age. But <laughs> <laughs> carrying books? I don't know. Calculus? Yeah. They don't carry books. They, uh, <laughs> they have one like binder and that's it. There's no books anymore. It's all Google Classroom. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it, actually it, it's sustainable books. to not have a locker. You could just throw your okay. binder. I love uh, books that too. Makes sense. Although ask me when I'm 12 carrying like eight books to school yeah, a in a lot. backpack and you know I didn't love books that much then but now I love mm-hmm. books because I don't have to carry them around <laughs> my studio was a typewriting room from the people that went to Beacon High back then told me oh really yeah 
Are there relics of that? Is there any? No, there's there used to be a clock and there's a speaker still from the room, but they don't work. Yeah, it's well, that would be weird if the bell went off every hour. (laughs) (laughs) Haunted, yeah. Yeah, it's a very academic environment to make work in. Yeah, there's no ghost stuff. That's good. Do you believe in ghosts? Uh, I do when I encounter them, but I don't right now. (laughs) I don't believe them when I don't see them. (laughs) (laughs) Only when they say hi, right? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, I seem to think they say hi to me sometimes. Oh, yeah. It's pesky. Yeah, I don't see it. My my wife and her family say they've seen ghosts (laughs) often. I've never seen one. Yeah. Well, not often. That's an overstatement, but it's happened. But yeah, I don't, I haven't bumped into one. But I'll believe them when I see them. My (laughs) studio in undergrad, Central Studios in Sarasota, Florida, had ghosts. Oh, really? Yeah. Were they creative? No, no. No? They just walked a lot. Oh, that's not the best kind. (laughs) Creeping around, scaring you, taking you by surprise. For some reason, I didn't mind that they were there because I felt lonely in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's nothing's more comforting than being all alone and hanging out with some ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) It's very settling. I don't know where this is going. I'm sorry. (laughs) Hey, listen, congratulations on the new on the new gallery and and the show. That's exciting. I'm really excited. So, can you tell me about the show? Yeah, uh, uh, Alexia Worth and I are uh, each having solo shows at DC Moore Gallery right now, and uh, it just opened last, wait, several days ago on Friday, uh, on January 7th, and uh, now uh, it's up until February 12th, it got extended, so we have one more week than we were planning on, and then the opening reception um or not opening but celebration we're calling mm-hmm. uh got postponed so it's going to be on 27th and well, hopefully hopefully things are i mean this seems to be a fast sweeping event you know like let's hope things are better you know yeah yeah it would be nice to celebrate the show with friends you know yeah. but you know who knows what's going on um, but um, we're also doing a Zoom conversation with Catherine Murphy uh, sometime. She's the best. During the show. Yeah. She liked my work. She was one of the ones. All right. Yeah, she's the best. <laughs> she is amazing. So you're going to have a conversation with her? With Alexi, yeah. Three of us oh, are talking so cool. about paintings. Nice. Just a casual, you know, conversation. Yeah. You know, I'm artists. Never- I'll never forget what she said in my crit. What did she say? She stopped, like, people were taking turns, like, arguing about, you know, how bad my work was or whatever. And then she <laughs> she was like, um, she's like, I just want to say, yeah. I don't know what this guy's doing, but I like it. And that was it. I love that. That's great. <laughs> That's very honest. It was. It was great. It felt good. I mean, I think she's she's one of my all-time favorite artists. Yes. Definitely. And I'm dying to talk to her. It's just really hard to get in touch with her. I haven't found the way to do it. But yeah, she's amazing. And that, her work is great. So that's cool. So you're going to have a conversation. When yes. is that? 
Do you have the dates? Uh, no, I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up. It was supposed to be on twentieth, but um, uh, in, there might be, you know, uh, changes on the date. So, well, that brings us to, you know, the best way for people to keep up to date with this. Are you? What's Instagram? The best, Instagram's the best way. Yes, right? uh, it's okay. my name, Chiefuiki Continues, and uh, I will be posting about it. And the gallery website at DC Moore, I'm sure you will have it. Um, right. Catherine and Alexi both are, you know, not only amazing painters, but incredible speakers. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to keep up with them somehow. You'll do great. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Last question. What is the hueki? What is the kanji? What's it mean? Oh, yeah. It means uh, flute. Like a instrument, fruit, fruit, flute, right. how do you say it? And uh, um, tree. Oh, key is the tree. Key is course. tree, yeah. Fue right. is a fue, you know, the flute. That's cool. So, I don't know a where thousand the name pictures comes from. of tree flute. Flute tree, yeah. Fruit, flute tree. Flute tree, yeah. Oh, is that a kind of tree or those just two nouns put together? Two nouns put together. I love. I, the kanji whole thing that was the <laughs> yes. funnest part about naming my son was like picking out the kanji that must have been really fun it's cool because you know here it's like brian <laughs> <laughs> well you know the fact that you those are you know uh symbols did definitely influence the way i think about visual language I, yeah, I mean, the only, I'm so bad at kanji, but the only saving grace is that I can associate a picture to it, which is, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's oh, yeah. really it's cool. So art, artist friendly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, if you can delineate, I mean, like anything that has sweet, like uh, like water or like yama is just, it just makes sense, you know, it's kind of cool. I don't know that there's any other alphabets like that, you know. Well, this was fun. It was nice to, you know, for knowing you so long, I never get to, you know, talk to you about this kind of stuff to go deep in. So thank it you. Was, it was cool to uh, to learn more about your past and stuff. You know, um, prior to this conversation, I also dug deep in our past and listened to, was it 33.3? Oh, yeah. The old band. Mm -hmm, with Steve Walsh. Yeah, Steve thinking about him. I know. It's a heartbreaker. I never... Yeah. I miss him. Yeah, me too. It was tough. I'm sure you do. You were, you guys were so close. Yeah. And, you know, the the reason it was hard, too, was, you know, since he moved around, he wasn't around mm -hmm. a lot, too, which was, mm -hmm. you know, because we were, we were, like, you know, best friend, like, you know, always around each other, like, every single day. Mm -hmm. And nothing, nothing binds a human to another human like going on tour in a van mm -hmm. I bet. <laughs> you know what I mean like spending weeks in a van together I mean that's yeah. a real test of friendship if you can if you can handle that you can pretty he much lived in Beacon yeah oh. I know yeah no I, I used to come visit all the time he lived up on that street in that house next to the little creek yep I now I live next to a creek <laughs> <laughs> that that creek he used to live the same street. creek yeah yeah, yeah same one. Yeah. Yeah, I miss that guy. It's it's. Do you know what's great though is that that those. I mean, not that anyone's listening, but those CDs or those albums exist, mm -hmm. which is for me really great because mm -hmm. 
you know, I listen to those songs and I can like every single piece of the song that we wrote together and like every mm -hmm. song, like the, the vibe of it or whatever, I can associate with different places and different experiences. And, you know, yeah. it's kind of cool. amazing that about music, everything yeah. comes back. Yeah. You know, when I think of Steve, I don't, um, I mean, he was an amazing painter who yes. was definitely overlooked. Like he wasn't, I don't think he got, shake that he should have you know as far mm -hmm. as like showing his work he's so talented but you know i think about his art but i think about our music that we made together because mm -hmm. you know we spent years and years like playing mm -hmm. in rooms you know making music and that to me the the art is kind of like this reflecting it's it's kind of you know the solitary thing but the music is really like it's kind of like the blood going through the veins you know it's really important Absolutely. in that sense so yeah, that's the the beauty is is that stuff is left behind, you know, and that those memories. Yeah. yeah. I can see you guys playing in my head right now. Yeah, it was fun. You know, it was a, it, in the the great irony is I went to New Haven because all, a lot of my friends were going to Chicago for grad school and I I got a full mm. scholarship to the Art Institute and mm. I turned it down because I said if I go to Chicago, I'm never going to make art. I'm just going to be making music the whole time because all my <laughs> friends are making music. So I go uh -huh. to New Haven and I end up joining a band and like touring and playing in records. <laughs> You're meant to make music as well. Yeah, as I couldn't escape it. I couldn't escape. Well, thanks, GA. It was so nice to talk. So nice to catch up. I can't wait to see the show too. I am definitely checking Thank it you. out in real Thank life you. because you have to... I think for anyone who hasn't seen your work, you got to see it in person. You know, I am so not Instagram type of painter, you know, like that. I make it for the body. And yeah, Instagram yeah. is like tiny little pictures. And, you know, how do you feel a surface and, you know, vibration of color from that? So, and uh, I would say, even though Alexi's work is really different from my work, I would say the same thing about his work. You yeah. got to see those paintings in person too. So please be safe. But if you can come check the shows out, we would love it. I, sure. I, I can't believe how many people showed up. I'm almost like nervous and, you know, but New Yorkers are tough. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they're doing they, it, you know. They're, they're, they, I'm so, I have so much gratitude to whoever that already came to see it too so. yeah I, i'm i'm not as bold as the going to the crowds but i'm sneaking around here and there just stealthily thank going in and seeing show you know what i mean the two, yeah but yeah, yeah people are out there and doing it and thank I, god because we don't want it I'm, to go i'm just amazed dark. by that yeah yeah and you know actually if you wear a good mask even omicron knock on the wood seems yeah. okay definitely so I, I've been I've been there at the gallery three days in a row almost all day I feel like and not all day all afternoon and I seem okay so far so maybe I'm I just being lucky but I don't no know. I think if you're responsible you can you can avoid it you know what I mean I hope so it doesn't seem that way when I hear the you know most careful people I know all catching it so. well yeah because the in case you walk around in a plastic bubble, it can happen, you know, <laughs> you can get it, you know, <laughs> but we do what we can, right? Like, yep. like we do what we can and still live. Mm -hmm. 
So that's, that's and feel lucky to have the vaccines. So. Definitely, for it's sure. Very different from the first lockdown. Yes, that was frightening. I mean, it's all yep. a little, yeah, but that was that was tough. Yeah, I went really OCD during that time. I we were on deep. We did a deep dive. I was <laughs> Clorox wiping groceries for months. It was Me, brutal. Too. Me too. Brutal. Me too. <laughs> I remember. I don't know what felt weirder when I first went out without a mask once it was like when you were vaccinated it was okay mm -hmm. i think it was even weirder when i brought groceries in and didn't wipe them down that, that was, was harder for me too yeah. yes was i was spraying our shoes back of our shoes you know part of kind of being japanese oh definitely we had that too yeah like shoes were never getting in the house anyways but once covid right. hit it was like a you know a deep sterilization <laughs> process <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. that's how you do it yeah, I could I couldn't let that go for a while, but yeah. Well, everyone should mask out and responsibly see your show. That's kind. Please be careful. Please be yeah. safe. Thanks, Chie. Thank you, Brian. Sound and Vision is recorded, produced, and edited by myself, Brian Alfred. Please go to iTunes and Spotify and leave a rating and review if you can. And tell a friend. Many thanks to Chie for taking the time. Go see her show at DC Moore. Many thanks to Weird Inside for the music you're hearing now, the intro, outro. Michael Lovett for his introduction. And many thanks to you for listening. If you can, check out Fulcrum Coffee. I collaborated with them on this new tin. It's like a coffee tin and I made a artwork based on where some of their beans are sourced and uh, it comes with a whole pound bag of coffee inside and uh, it's pretty cool I think so go to fulcrumcoffee.com check that out and make sure you check out golden artist colors whenever you hit your local art store they make the best paint and mediums in my opinion and many others thanks for listening uh, we got some great episodes coming up, some really great artists, so stay tuned.